0: My sermon starts out with talking about being excited about a road trip. But I think the two young men going to Disney World have already done that. You know, they're just so excited they can hardly wait. And I know it was a little cruel to talk about that trip because now they're going to go home and start talking about it to their parents. But I'm okay with that because they're not coming to my house after all. You know, they're going to talk and they're going to talk and they're going to get so excited and they're gonna build it up to where it can't possibly be as good as they're expecting, and yet it will. Now, the trip, however, between here and there, maybe not so much. The tablets will run out of paper, the creative thoughts will stop flowing, and they'll look at one another sitting in the back seat of that van and starting to growl. Or if they're flying, are they flying, Bonnie? No, they're not flying, they're driving. They're driving. God bless driving trips. With young children, right? I mean, after all, if you're going to take a road trip and you want to really get broken in, that's the place to do it, right? That's the place where you go because that's where you learn so much about being a parent and so much about being a six-year-old or a five-year-old or whatever you are. And the parents rehearse it over and over again. And it is a wilderness journey at times, is it not? But what a journey it is. When you're talking about a road trip, you can be talking about an exciting short trip or an extended trip. In fact, some people use the word road trip synonymous with the idea of vacation, but really in the nuances of our English language, they're not quite the same. There are some subtle differences whether people use them that way or not. A vacation is usually something that we take for an experience. It's something that we do in order to take care of our personal needs. It's something where we go in order to relax and just soak up the surroundings, It's a place and a thing we do to be renewed and invigorated from the amount of rest that we will soak in, sleeping late, going to bed when we want to, and doing the very things we want to do, not the things we feel we have to do or we must do. Now, a road trip, on the other hand, is a little different in nuance from a vacation because, you see, it is, though interchangeable in many people's minds, it's a more planned adventure. It is something that has an agenda oftentimes, Think about all the road trips the Dallas Cowboys make. Are they relaxing? No. You know, some people travel a lot in their business, and other people look at them and say, how lucky you are to get to travel so much all over the country. And they're thinking, not so much. You know, I don't ever get to sleep in my bed hardly. I'm traveling all the time. It's hard work out there. I'm working. I have an agenda. I'm not going to Disney World. I'm actually on the clock. And when I'm traveling, I'm on the clock 24 hours a day, sometimes it seems like, because there are no distractions. So you see, there is a difference in the agenda of a road trip and a vacation. And some of those kinds of marks are what we want to look at when we talk about the road trip to Jerusalem. A road trip also typically has an educational component and a purpose for the trip being taken. Now, when you think about all those things, you think, first of all, if you're thinking about a road trip, Let's go back to your college days. Remember road trips there? A road trip was, where are we going? Is it a football game? Or is it home for the holidays? Or is it to a friend's house over the weekend to get special food, real food actually cooked in an oven? It's, what is it? Is it? Is a place to not study? It can be all those things. And then you ask yourself, not only where are we going, but why are we going there? What is the agenda for our road trip? And once you do that, then you have to start thinking about what a I'm going there for the purpose of seeing a part of the country I've never seen before. Perhaps your road trip is an exploration trip in order to consider living in a different part of the country or state. You might be asking yourself, what am I going to do while I'm there? You've got to be planning what you're going to do because what you plan is what's going to happen. The next important thing, especially when you're in college, is who is going with me, right? I mean, what's a road trip unless you have the right people with you? Are you going to invite the person who never has any fun? No, not when you're in college. That person can stay at the dorm, right? You want to invite the people who know how to have a good time, are going to go with you to have a good time, and who are going to come up with all kinds of ideas about things for you to do. It is, after all, going to be a lighthearted venture if you're in college, right? Then you'll start thinking about, now that I've got who's going to go, when can we go together? When can we take this trip that it fits in both our schedules? No serious test on the day after we get back, right? When you get all of that settled in your mind, and then you remember, oh, yeah, there's one more thing I got to ask and I got to plan for. How much is this trip going to cost? And how much can I get mom and dad to give me extra to make this trip? And how much are my friends going to contribute you know, every now and then, if you have a group that you're used to traveling with, and I used to have a golfing group like this, we'd plan a golfing trip for just a guy's trip out for two or three days. And the problem was, one of the four guys was a tightwad. And so every time we went, he always ran out of money. And he was the smallest guy in the group. You'd think we have known better, right? But anyway, we took him, and we all ended up making up for what he didn't bring every trip because we needed him there in order to have our foursome. He was an important part of our group. What will it cost? Can I afford it? Might be a thought that crossed your mind in college. It certainly is as you get older. And then at the end, we ask ourselves a question, two questions. Am I willing to pay the price? And secondly, am I going? Now, when we move to the topic of a road trip to Jerusalem, a trip being made by Jesus, it's going to be a a two-and-a-half-year-long trip. When we ask ourselves, about this two-and-a-half-year journey that is a road trip, if you will, we're going to ask all these same kind of questions but with very different answers and perhaps even in a different order. We'll be asking ourselves the questions, where are we going? Well, we're going to go throughout the nation and area of Israel and some neighboring areas as we travel, but we're also going to be going on this road trip regularly to Jerusalem because Passover is going to occur every year. So wherever we're journeying, wherever we're going, we're going to end up in Passover probably three times during the next two and a half years of our journey, our road trip together. Why would we want to end up there? Because that's the spiritual center of the faith of Israel. That's where they gathered to celebrate Passover and to remember God's deliverance of the nation of Israel. When he parted the Red Sea and delivered them from their captivity in Egypt. This was a hallmark of their understanding of their salvation experience. And every Jewish person, every person of the nation of Israel had to return to Jerusalem to celebrate during those days. You can imagine the excitement and the crowd that would gather. And what are we going to do along this way? What do we need to prepare and plan for? Now, if you're Jesus planning this trip, he is, after all, the planner. You've got to start asking those questions. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to teach the multitudes and the inner circles. I'm going to proclaim the day of salvation has arrived. And I'm going to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God and tell the world that I am the Son of God, the Messiah. And it's going to be very controversial. Controversial. So there are a lot of things to be accomplished in two and a half years. And if you think that list is daunting, just hold on for a minute. For what are we going to do along this way? And as we do these things, my real goal is to mentor 12 men that I'm going to call into a small group who are going to travel with me and we're going to sleep out most of the nights under the skies. We're going to be Traveling, we're going to be doing things that they have no idea what they mean. They're only going to partially get it, and we're going to keep repeating the lessons until after two and a half years, they have been minted to the point where we'll know the answer to some very important questions. And along the way, there'll also be an outer fringe of followers that'll come and go, a larger number. But I'm going to select from these 12, as it says in Luke chapter 6, 12 to be the apostles, to be the most intimate group that will ever know me to spend this time with me. Now, the thing I'm going to teach these disciples that they must get along the way is, number one, they must learn to follow me and the Father as we take this journey journey together. And they're going to learn that by watching me constantly stay in an intimate relationship with the Father in heaven through the ministry of prayer, often through the night. The other thing I want these 12 men to know is I want them to... Learn to trust that what I speak is truth. Even as it contradicts with the truth, they have learned in their lives up to that point. They must learn to understand the expression of the new, the fulfillment of the law is more important than the parts of the law that they have learned before. And thirdly, they've got to learn to believe that this man, me, Jesus, came from the Father, that I am the Savior of the world. They must learn to believe that I'm the Messiah. Because them believing it upon that faith will lay the whole foundation of the purpose of me coming to this world. Now, with that in mind, then you might ask the question, the same who and when question that we ask above, but in a different order. Because, you see, the first thing he's got to answer is, when am I going to take this journey this is in the context of Mark that Cindy read in the scriptures. Right after, right after his baptism, two things happened. One, he was identified as the Son of God. Two, he was affirmed as being the Son of God. So he had a new identity from the moment he came up out of those waters. The truth of who he was was beginning to fully dawn upon the human man Jesus who coexisted as the eternal Jesus even as he walked this earth. That's a heavy theological plot. I know to unpack it, that's what incarnation be, it means. Now, after that, when comes the who? Who are going to be the chosen? There are going to be people he's going to call, them. they're going to start following him a lot. But according to Luke in chapter 6, he spends a night in prayer for he appoints the 12 to be the inner circle, to invest most of the rest of that two and a half years in those, those 12, along with some camp followers, if you will, who would come and go more regularly. And during that time, Jesus has to get ready himself to make this journey and to lead this trip. He has to ask himself, what will it cost? He understands it's going to cost my complete obedience to the Father's word, my my complete trust that the Father will be there for us to provide for us and to provide for me and these 12 men in ways that only the Father could. And finally... It's going to cost my suffering and my death. And then he had to ask himself, am I ready to begin that journey? Am I ready to take that kind of road trip? And then he does the strangest things in a, in a way to us. He didn't go out and seek the counsel of others. He didn't go to the nearest synagogue to, to discuss this with other rabbis. Instead, he walks right out into the desert. The spirit. Drove him out into the desert. Desert, a place of the wild beasts. A desert, a place where he'd be by himself for 40 days. The desert, a place where Satan had free access to try and ruin his trip. Now, the devil acts in strange ways on trips, right? This isn't part of the sermon just for parents or grandparents if you're traveling with your grandchildren. When you take a trip, a road trip, with your young grandchildren, don't be surprised that they act like five and six-year-olds because that's how old they are. I'm assuming you won't take too long a trip before they're that age because that would cause you need to come for counseling to me before you did it. But as they get older and you take them, you don't want to ruin the road trip by expecting something different from them than they're going to be. Sure, they're going to need to go to the restroom more than you do. Sure, they're going to only eat more candy than they eat the whole rest of the year. And by the way, just for you grandparents, that's okay. Their parents will never know (laughs) until you return. And by then, you'll already be back, so who cares, right? You had the time. It's okay. You take them on the trip, but you expect them to fuss and to fight a little bit. You start remembering your children's lives, and you go, oh, yeah, that was right. They did act that way, didn't they? Yes, they did, and they will continue to do so. But you mustn't let a bad attitude by you ruin their trip. Jesus needed the right attitude too if he was going to lead 12 men for two and a half years on a journey that they couldn't even completely fathom while they were on the trip. So he went out into that desert willingly as the Spirit was also driving him. And there he was tempted. This was his great time of preparation. He did it so well and so thoroughly that though he would be tempted again and more often than once by Satan, he would not be visited by Satan regularly because Satan already knew that this was a strong person he was dealing with. He had proven in the hour of temptation in the wilderness that he was solid in his faith, strong in his relationship to the Father, and committed to the task even when it would require his life. What does that look like? Last week, a horrible thing happened in our country again. And you know, it's very hard to find any pleasure. Actually, you can't find any pleasure or any joy out of such an event or occurrence. It knocks us off our feet. It shocks us to the core. It makes us wonder, how can people do these kind of things? How can an 18-year-old be so messed up or a 19-year-old however really he tended to be? But amidst all of that noise and all of that pain and all of that suffering, let's do not forget the assistant football coach who gave his life to save some students. The teacher, the young man who held open the door for students going through in his classroom, taking the fire himself and giving his life to save his students. Let's not forget the young youth who was a cadet who was not the normal student running in fear but who was also helping others escape and paid for it with his young life. Do not forget that there were those who were ready to lay down their lives for others in the midst of mourning the loss of the ones we lost. Because even in the midst of darkness, there is this light that shines from those who have taken their own wilderness journey and are ready to be who they are called to be even on their daily journey of going to the school every day to serve those youth. Treasure that and hold it tightly. Thank God for people like that who were ready and prepared for their daily journey that miraculously turned from one thing that it was in the monotony of their days to something entirely different, and in a moment's decision, they were ready to do their bidding. And when we think about Jesus and these men just getting ready to travel out there and the gospel of Mark is like everything else in Mark, it happens in a hurry. None of the details of the temptation are provided because in Mark's mind, they don't really matter. What really mattered to Mark was to say this, Jesus was driven by the spirit into the wilderness. He was there with the wild animals and Satan tempting him until the angels came to minister to him at the end. And he was faithful and what was declared at his baptism was true. This was God's son. God loved him and affirmed him for what he had done. And the same would be true for us as we think about this temptation, as we think about our own getting ready to go to Jerusalem on this trip. It really is an extended trip of 40 days representing uh, the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness all the way up until Easter Sunday. It really is a time of preparation. It really is a time of self-examination. It really is a time when we ask ourselves the question, if we're doing it well, am I ready to resist the temptations of the evil one? Make no mistake about it, this is no light-hearted venture to go into the wilderness. One of the things that piles up on you over the years as a pastor is you get to know the lives of the people that you're pastoring and you begin to know their own wilderness journeys. You, need to, you begin to feel their pain and to learn from their own pain for yourself. It's a great position of privilege for a pastor to have the opportunity to visit, to embrace, to hold, to lift up the people of the congregation who are in a wilderness moment in their lives. Because those moments come to us all. Every person that has a child expects to go to the hospital and see that child delivered healthy and whole and ready to go. But every so often, it's almost a thing of numbers, a child gets here who struggles for life itself. And you sit there in the presence of the parents who are yearning to hold their first child in their arms and they can't. And you remember how blessed most of us are to never know that pain, to know the questions that come with wondering about that. Every time a person gets uncharacteristically ill for a person of their age and they struggle with life and death issues over many years, you learn the struggle of not having normal health, of not thinking about life in terms of will I live to be 90 or 95, which is what most people think but in terms of being thankful for every day you get and every month you experience as a blessing from God and a moment to cherish. You learn from journeying with others in their wilderness. When a longtime friend loses their spouse, and that's usually a man going first, let's be truthful here, it's the other women who've lost their husbands who come to stand around that lady who's lost their spouse to say, I understand. And when you they look into each other's eyes, they both know that they understand. And in fact, they understand more than the one who's just experienced it. And they lean on that person's wisdom, what they learned in the wilderness that prepared them to help someone else walk through that wilderness journey. Life is not all about easy times. Sometimes businesses go bankrupt. Sometimes families struggle for finances. Sometimes marriages struggle. Sometimes Marriages separate for times. Sometimes marriages dissolve. Sometimes youth fall ill. Sometimes children struggle in school, and life becomes a struggle for them, it seems like, on a daily basis. All these things happen to all of us. They're common parts of the wilderness journey. They're common parts for us all to have so that we will be ready in the future as we continue to journey to come alongside someone and to help them when it's their turn to walk through the wilderness. But today we're going to flip that around and we're going to pray voluntarily within the wilderness in order that we'll already be prepared when that moment comes. We're going to take this journey to Jerusalem so that having prepared to be able to say clearly that I'm a follower of Jesus, that order we might proclaim boldly that this Jesus, this man, is a person in whom I trust. It is from his lips and through the scriptures that tell me of him that I learn truth. It's not the culture that gives me truth. It is the scriptures that is the basis for my foundation. Anything that has a basis that is not found in scripture is not, is not of Jesus, lest it agrees with what is said in the scriptures. The church of Jesus Christ in this century, just like in all the other centuries, must hold to that word of truth that is proclaimed by Jesus, expressed by the apostles, and recorded in the scriptures. It is a process of a book that took hundreds and even thousands of years to come together as a whole. But in its entirety, it is the word of God for us. We must be ready when Easter morning comes. To look ourselves in the mirror and say, Jesus is my Messiah. Like Jesus, I too am a son of God. When I received the waters of baptism, I became God's child. I heard the voice of God saying, you are my child, and in you I am well pleased. That affirmation will strengthen us in the days to come when difficulties arise. To know that God is with us and that he affirms us as we are. That becomes so very important if you want to come Easter morning and celebrate. Oh, you can put on new clothes, and you can go buy a new suit, and you can remember it's Easter, and you can come, and you can enjoy all the flowers and the special music leading up to it, and you can have Easter. But if you really want to have Easter, you got to spend some time in the wilderness these 40 days. You've got to examine yourself so that you can look at yourself in your spiritual mirror and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting his truth, not my own. I am not the leader of my own universe. Jesus Christ is the leader of my world. And when we get to Easter, if we have found that to be true once again this year, as I hope you take this journey every year to proclaim, then you will be able to proclaim at Easter Jesus is my Christ, my Messiah, and my God. Hallelujah, I find truth in his presence, and I'm a child of the King. You want to have Easter? Your heart will burst out of your body with joy on Easter morning. You say, well, I've already spent 50 Easter's or 60 Easter's. I don't care. If Easter's getting older, you you better go back to the wilderness because Easter doesn't get old New birth and new life doesn't wear out. It doesn't get to be commonplace. It doesn't get to be boring. I've had it with boring Christians, and I've had it with boring Christianity. We've got to turn this thing loose. We've got to sleep on the ground with Jesus for 40 days. We've got to get ready because the future of our world depends upon it. Crazy 18 and 19-year-olds depend upon it. Because in every so many of them, some of them can be turned aside by you. We'll never read about them in the newspapers because of you. Maybe because you drew near to them in scouting. Maybe because you took a boy under your wings and you spent so much time with him, so much thought with him, that your thoughts about God and country and order became his thoughts. Maybe that alone will be enough. And if not you, then the other helpers and scouts or the homes they're going to that are sharing in all the activities. Maybe it all will spare one young man or one young woman from throwing their life away or, heaven forbid, even take the lives of others in their wilderness moment. A trickle, a flicker of the knowledge of God's grace is enough to save anyone from the worst moment and thought of their lives. Without that flicker, the voice of Satan rules. If Satan is not rejected, then Satan is embraced. And taking another innocent human life becomes this expression. I don't know about you, but I need Easter. And if you don't know you need it, take it from me, you need it. Why do you need it? You need it every year for the simple reason that every year you struggle. You struggle with believing. You struggle with being faithful because you're human. And every year, if we don't hold on tightly in a kind of recurring pattern to just what we have in Christ, we tend to lose our grip on Christ's hand. And we'll wander along till we find ourselves in a wilderness not for preparation, but as a consequence. I don't know about you, but I must prefer the wilderness of preparation like on a scouting trip than the consequence of a wilderness experience not of my planning because of my bad choices. Are you willing to take a journey? I know it's hard. Because you're already a Christian after all. You may think it's not necessary after all. I just want to say simply, with all the truth I can muster, it's necessary. It's necessary for your soul, it's necessary for the joy of Easter. Are you willing to pay the price?